Hello and welcome to another episode of Sound Strategic. I am Ayan Owens and today we'll be discussing the upcoming U.S. election between President Trump and former Vice President Joseph Biden. The election of Donald Trump in 2016 came as a surprise to many inside and outside the United States. Trump's America First policies were seen by supporters as a necessary reordering of American priorities, both domestically and internationally. However, since his inauguration, President Trump and his administration have experienced a series of political crises and scandals. Internationally, Trump has been accused of alienating allies, undermining the liberal world order, and stoking global and regional conflict, most notably with Iran and China. At home, President Trump has faced impeachment and a series of popular protests, most recently from the Black Lives Matters movement. He's also been criticized for his harsh immigration policy, aggravating societal divisions, and mishandling of the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time of recording, the U.S. had almost 8 million cases of COVID and over 200,000 deaths, and is currently facing one of the worst outbreaks of the virus globally. So after four turbulent years, the upcoming election on the 3rd of November is being seen as a pivotal moment in U.S. history that may determine the future of the United States and the liberal world order itself. To help me explore the importance of this election and what is at stake for both America and the world, I'm joined by Dana Allen, Senior Fellow for U.S. Foreign Policy and Transatlantic Affairs at the IISS, and David Gordon, Senior Advisor for Geoeconomics and Strategy. Thank you both for joining me today. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, Maya. Great. Great to be here, Maya. Now, given that this election comes at such a critical time for the United States, I thought we could start by discussing whether or not this election does stand out compared to other previous U.S. elections. The Biden campaign has called this election an election for the soul of America. And I was wondering, do you think this is true? Have there been other elections in U.S. history where the U.S. has been at a similar crossroads in terms of values or policies? David. So I do think that both for the candidates and for much, if not most, of the electorate, it really is an election about the soul of America. Uh, so I, I do think that that what's been one of the features that's unusual about this campaign is that there's been very little discussion of the details of particular policies and what and what each individual uh, might do, and it's much more about the gestalt. So it it is really about the soul of America, and it's also the case that I don't think these kinds of elections come around very often. Perhaps the last one was the 1980 election, uh, uh, where, where Ronald Reagan uh, really proposing a, a conservative vision, but a very different one from tr Trump's. Reagan was a conservative optimist, uh, uh, whereas Jimmy Carter was the, the the last in many ways uh, of uh, the the uh, Rooseveltian liberals. Uh, so I think you do have to go back some uh, some forty years uh, since we've had an election like this. But of course, even then, I'm old enough to remember the 1980 election, and, and it was still. A, a lot. It was 
conducted with a lot more decorum uh, than than has been this election. So the, the the extraordinary feature to me of this election has been just the 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 crudeness uh, by which pr- President Trump has run his campaign. Fr- frankly, in my view, I think that's one of his biggest weaknesses. I think he'd be in a much better position had he not chosen to go down that path. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, um, with pretty much everything that David has said. It is, um, I, I don't think we should be shy about calling it an election at which the soul of America is at stake, um, with 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 a stipulation that I'll, I'll make in a minute, um, which is in certain ways, you know, we don't know the future, <laughs> and, and, and that's more that's more important and less banal than it may may sound at first blush. Um, but one thing I think the Trump presidency has reinforced for us is the importance, you know, the, the, the palpable reality of symbolic and formal presidential authority and what happens when that's taken away. Um, you know, for all the disagreements, and the United States was did not become uh, such a fiercely divided country just with the campaign of Donald Trump in 2015 and 2000, 2016. I mean, we are deeply divided, and we all were already. But we've never in my lifetime elected a president who did not have some affinity and attention to what you might what is sometimes called the civil religion of the United States, where he understands that moral moral symbolism, moral communication is part of his job. And frankly, that although he may have run on a, he or she may have run on a, a partisan platform, once elected, the president really represents the whole country or tries to represent the whole country. Um, as James Mattis, uh, the, the former Secretary of Defense, uh, wrote in an excoriating, uh, uh, excoriating letter um, after the um, uh, during the demonstrations uh, about the George Floyd killing, um, this is the first president in that in in our lifetime who has not seen it as his job to unite the American people, and it, it's really pretty clear that he doesn't. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's crucially important. Now the stipulation one might make, and this was the sort of banal observation about not knowing the future, but um, you know, we don't necessarily always know what the turning points are uh, when we're in them. Uh, Ezra Klein of, of Vox.com wrote a piece of, uh, recently in which he argued that uh, the 2000 election, which, you know, at the time looked like an election between two fairly centrist candidates, a um, a center-left liberal but establishment Democrat Al Gore and a compassionate conservative George Bush. And there wasn't really that much fierce difference between them on, on the issues. I mean, there were important differences, but um, nonetheless... Uh, you know, the consequences of that election were were arguably huge. I mean, um, you know, the United States under George W. Bush went off on a course um, that I think would have been very, very different under under Al Gore, thinking about the Iraq war, 
um, thinking also about climate change, for example. Um, so, um, so we don't always know, uh, but we do know, you know, we do know what the candidates are saying and, and how they're presenting themselves. And, and I, I also agree with David that this is very much, both candidates are campaigning, you know, sort of with a, in terms of creating a zeitgeist or, or an ethos, uh, for good or for ill, rather than on specific policies. Uh, Donald Trump, the Republican Party does not have a presidential platform. Now, you know, these platforms were not necessarily all that important, but it is extremely significant not to have one, it seems, to not even pretend to put forth a policy vision for your second term. Yeah, no, I think that 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 Dana's point about not knowing the future is correct. And that's why I said that I thought both the candidates and their supporters saw this as a uh, an election for the soul of America. Whether it really is, I just think it's just hard to know for all of the reasons that Dana just mentioned at the end. Nobody really knows the future. And presidencies don't turn out being what they thought they were going to be. Well, one thing that I think is probably fair to say is that this could be one of the most contested U.S. elections in living memory. The president himself has questioned the legitimacy of the electoral process on several occasions, and Democrats in Congress have accused Republicans of voter suppression. So do you both or or either of you think that this election could permanently damage the American political system? Yeah, let me let me start here. I um I think David and I agree on this, but I'll wait wait for his response. Uh yeah, yeah, I mean the United States is facing and the United States political system is facing a real crisis of legitimacy. And a big reason for that right now is you know the the, the rhetoric and the behavior of President Trump. There's no question about it, but it it does have um it does have deeper roots. I mean, I would just point to a few. One is the the potential mismatch between the popular vote and the electoral college has come to the fore now in a way that it wasn't for most of my lifetime. Um, I mean, it was always a possibility, but um, you know, the United States Constitution is a venerable document. Uh, a great document, but it's rather old in terms of the constitutions of democracies. And in a sense, you have a document that at least the first part of it, I mean, there are two, there's an argument that there are two American constitutions, but the one that was written in the late 18th century, you know, was pre-universal suffrage. It was, it, it created a kind of liberal republic, but it was not necessarily a democracy in, in, in our terms. And over the ensuing two centuries or more, we've had sort of the the concept of universal suffrage and actual popular democracy layered over that. But the fact that you can have uh, the winner of the uh, popular vote lose and the loser of the popular vote win the electoral college seems intuitively kind of illegitimate. Um, and it, but, but it, and it's never really been an issue until recently. It happened three times in the 19th century, and the first time it happened was really before even universal male suffrage. 
Um, it didn't happen once in the 20th century. So that's my sort of formation and my consciousness of, of it as being an exotic idea. And now it's happened twice in this century, in the first 20 years of this century. And if it happened, and if Donald Trump wins this election, it will have happened a third time. I can almost guarantee you that. So that's a, that's a, that's a big problem in terms of you know, how we treat the, the issue as being legitimate, legitimate or not. Now, the second problem is that American, America's political parties, the two-party system has been sorted out in an ideological way that has made us very, very divided. You used to have effectively four parties. You used to have liberal Republicans and conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats and conservative Democrats. And this was partly a sort of regional divide. It had a lot to do with the legacy of slavery and then segregation, which is why you had a lot of conservative Democrats in the South. But but that kind of four-party system, if you want to call it that, created the possibility for cross-cutting coalitions, uh, compromise, and getting things done. This is a, actually Joe Biden has spoken with some nostalgia of this period, even though it was a period of uh, rather brutal segregation or at, like, coming out of brutal segregation. But um, now we have, uh, now the parties have sorted themselves out and they're very ideologically distinct. And our elections, because they're so close, have become very existential um, for for each side. Um, so much is seen to be at stake that that kind of makes it all a, a bit more like war and a bit less like standard democratic opposition and government uh, alternation. You can see this very very fierce uh, problem and confrontation in the ongoing process of confirming. Um, Amy Coney Barrett as 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 a Supreme Court justice, um, and and the sort of shenanigans that led up to that. Um, so I think that those are you know the, these are this is kind of the basis of a really divided polity. Now Donald Trump was elected, um, you know, by a minority. I mean, but he was elected in the Electoral College. And this, of course, made things much worse because he has thrown out, you know, all of so many of the norms and the niceties of of civilized political discourse. Um, and and as you as you pointed out, Maya, he has um, a priori sort of. Uh, himself rejected the legitimacy of an election result that goes against him. So it's a large. If it's a, it's a. If 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 Joe Biden wins by a large margin, I think we're still going to have a lot of problems. But I think that you know we'll we'll see a way forward to at least accepting the results of this election. Other possibilities, any narrow result, I think is potentially going to be very very uh, perilous. Yeah. So let me make a few comments here. I'm gonna... I think I'm broadly agree with Dana. I think that 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 the the legitimacy illegitimacy issue really is on both sides of this. So I think if this is a close election, prop it will probably be the case that most of the supporters of the losing candidate are going to believe that the election was stolen. 
uh, no matter what the outcome, uh, whether, whether that will be true, I'm actually very skeptical about. It could be true, uh, but I'm s- skeptical about the likelihood of it being tr- true. Uh, and, and that's because the rules of, of U.S. elections are pretty clear. They're very straightforward that, that the election is based on, on uh, the, the electoral college delegate vote uh, and getting a majority of those votes. Uh, and, and so this is a state-by-state race. Uh, now, you know, uh, it, it, I think that 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 Dane is right that that that's a lot different from uh, how many, if not most, modern democracies work. But you know, it's it's also a little bit like uh, if if I'm in a tennis match uh, and and I win a set six four. My opponent can't come and say, you won 6-4, but I actually won more points. I think I won this match uh, because a tennis game is, uh, a tennis set is separated into games. Uh, And so the U.S. election is separated into state-by-state contests. So, so, uh, but there, there is a there is a legitimacy issue here because this is a big now it's a a big concern in the United States. I do believe that we could ver- that that the worst case scenario here which is one that that I think is maybe 1 in 5 in terms of a probability is that a lot of the state races that are are very close end up in court challenges not dissimilar to uh, the the challenge in the Florida uh, uh, election count in 2000. Uh, And so I think the worst case scenario here is that we have three or four or maybe even more states like that, uh, particularly given the prominence of mail-in voting that are much more prone to to uh, alternative inter- interpretations of whether they're they're accurate ballots and and, and legal ballots or not. Uh, eventually, and and this could take several weeks, maybe even a month or more, uh, and that would be a pretty perilous time. Um, I think at the end of the day, there will be a legal outcome to this. That will be um, will be legally enforced in that circumstance. As I said, I believe whoever loses, the majority of the people who voted for that candidate are likely to feel that that uh, the election's been stolen. But I don't think this is going to be a permanent damage to the U.S. political system. Can I, um, sorry, can I just clarify something um, in case I was misunderstood? But I, I certainly agree with David. I'm, I'm not disputing the fact that the United States has a constitution that awards uh, the presidency on the basis of, of state by state, winner take all, all um, uh, 
contests. And, you know, those are the rules and those are the rules that American politicians and candidates play under. And of course, those and, and they're very unlikely to be changed. Uh, I, I, well, actually, I was about to say they would require a constitutional amendment to change them. Actually, there, there is a somewhat complicated move them, movement to change them by a band of states uh, acting together, uh, which I won't get into. But but I think, David, you, you've sort of conceded, or, or, or you, I think you agree with me, that legitimacy is something we can discuss as, a, as an abstract reality, but it also has a degree of subjective, perceptive sub- subjectivity. So, you know, when we're talking about a, a bitterly divided United States and one that cannot get its act together as a coherent um, political actor in some respects, um, that subjective problem of legitimacy is a big deal. And that's why I thought, you know, the, the Electoral College is worth mentioning. The other thing, though, is that it is it precisely in the very close elections uh, that this becomes an issue. And it's also in the very close elections that state-by-state rules for counting ballots and uh, allowing people to register uh, um, become significant. And one problem from the Democratic side, of course, one argument from the Democratic side, and I'd I'd be interested in your views on this, David, is that the Republican Party has an objective interest in limiting the number of minority voters right now, because the Republican Party is mainly a white party. And this has become very poisonous in our politics. Now, you know, this is not getting to motives. It's not making any particular accusations, but it is, you know, I think Maya alluded to this in her opening. There is a fight about how easy it should be to vote, whether we want to call that voter suppression or voter, uh, you know, maintaining the integrity of, of, of the voting process is an argument for debate, uh, but it's a, it becomes a very poisonous argument very quickly. Could I maybe just also add on to that, that I think that brings in a really interesting wider question of how the rest of the world, uh, and in particular other democracies, are viewing this from the outside as well, not just um, Americans uh, viewing the the proceedings from a, a domestic uh, perspective, but also how other countries are, are are perhaps losing respect for the United States um, with regards to this election. Well, that's a that's a really interesting question. So it's certainly the case that that and and the empirical data, the Pew surveys uh, ha, have really shown that. Uh, that respect for the United States ha- has been in decline for a while, and that that decline has accelerated under pr- President Trump. Uh, whether or not this election will um, will reinforce that, I mean, I do believe that anyone who watched the presidential debate. And, and saw the behavior of President Trump not allowing either his opponent or the moderator complete a sentence that that, that couldn't have, that nobody around the world's going to see that and say, geez, I really respect the United States a lot more because they're having, they're screaming at each other during the presidential debate. Uh, 
but I think a that that the outcome of the election we don't know yet, and so so I do think the the viewpoint on this will depend on what actually happens. Uh, is the uh, electoral result uh, um, according to what most people would would see as the objective conditions of of the vote. Uh, and I think that will be the key, the key element here. Uh, but I think the, the process itself so far uh, hasn't helped, but I, I don't think that this is what people are, are mainly looking at when they consider uh, America's place in the world. I, I agree with that. But to a certain extent, if you're asking about whether a, a contested election uh, will damage America's um, influence and image in the rest of the world, uh, it probably will. But that's because, you know, a lot of accusations are going to be thrown both ways and and, and we're going to besmirch ourselves. Uh, but, um, you know, there, there are, there are idiosyncratic, idiosyncrasies of the of, of the American system that have to do that with the fact that we're a big country, a big federal system. Voting is 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 organized on a state by state basis, so it varies. And I think this is can you know particularly to our European allies, this can be kind of confusing and perplexing. Uh, but I don't think that it in and of itself is is terribly damaging. What's what's going to be damaging is you know if we have one of the nightmare scenarios in terms of the of a contested result that we've been talking about i mean despite the issues around um the legitimacy of of the result a winner will be announced as we've said later this year and so i'd be interested in hearing what you each think a biden presidency or a turn or a two-term trump administration would mean for U.S. policy and global politics more generally. I mean, are there are some issues that are going to be bipartisan and have bipartisan support, which is, for example, um, with regards to the threat posed by China. Um, but there are other areas where there might be less continuity and more change uh, and more divergence between the two presidencies. So where do we think those boundaries lie? That's a great question, Maya. And in in my view... This election might might be an interesting exception to a rule. So generally in the U.S., whenever a president is elected from a different party than the sitting president, right, there's usually much more um, overlap between the external policies of a new president uh, as compared to what you would have expected by listening to that new president while he was campaigning. And the interesting question is, will 2020 be an exception to that rule if Joe Biden wins? Uh, because he has drawn this very, very, very sharp line. And I believe that there's much more of a chance that, the, that he will be an exception not because he's exceptional, but because Trump was so exceptional in terms of eschewing the the norms and orientations that all American presidents before him, uh, certainly 
since World War II have shared about the world, uh, a, 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 an interest in world order, an interest in pr- promoting democracy and human rights, at least to some degree, an interest in keeping a largely free and open uh, global trading system, uh, the significance of the U.S. alliances with key players all around the world for the U.S. So all of these have have went into decline under Trump. I think that that Biden will seek to to um, re restate restate uh, with some t- twists and turns. Uh, a much more traditional uh, uh, approach to U.S. foreign and national security policy. Listen, I think that's entirely correct. I agree with every word. I mean, I, you know, if Donald Trump is reelected, you're going to have a, a, a very uneasy situation. I'm going to talk about America's democratic allies in the first instance. You know, with his first election, they could feel or expect that this was a strange turn the United States took, but that it was an exception. If he's reelected, they're going to have to say it's a very different United States than they were used to. And I think the, you know, obviously the strategic calculations are already being made on the basis of hedging uh, towards a future when the United States is no longer a reliable ally. And I think that, you know, if Trump were reelected, those hedging policies would have to start to become uh, actual policies. And I, you know, I don't, I, we don't have time to really get into what that might mean, but I think it would be very destabilizing. Now, if Biden is elected, you know, I think there's obviously going to be some, some satisfaction and some relief. But it's not going to, you know, it's not going to turn the hand of the, cl- of the clock back or, or, or dispel all the concerns. First of all, there's always the possibility that we're going to have an alternation that brings another Trump-type figure into, into power, maybe one who's more competent um, in, 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 in his or her policies. Um, you know, the second point to make is that a Biden administration would be facing pretty harrowing crises, domestic crises in the United States. I mean, a, a public health crisis um, that is raging, an economic crisis that has followed from it. And, you know, again, some of the divisions and political political contestation that has, has become almost dysfunctional and you know that means that some expectations for a a return to um, what may be a slightly misremembered uh, position of solid American leadership would you know are very likely um, to be disappointed. Uh, when I say that, though, I, just one footnote, I disagree with a lot of the analysis of European, of many European policymakers and analysts that Donald Trump re- represents a kind of continuity of American retreat from the world stage. I don't think that's correct. I think Donald Trump is sui generis um, in, his, in his worldview. 
so, you know, the worldview, I think, will be quite traditional, but the circumstances, the geopolitical circumstances are changed. You know, you, you can't step in the same river twice, as a um, Greek philosopher said. So if you're looking at actual policies here, I, I think it's interesting. So in the case of China, I think on technology issues, there actually uh, will be a lot of continuity. Uh, I think the, the, the notion of a tech cold war uh, is pretty realistic. I don't believe that there's going to be a general cold war between the U.S. and China, but the tech cold war, I think, uh, is a reality. Um, but Biden is also looking to engage China uh, in a cooperative manner, at least on a couple of issues. Uh, and the most important of those will be climate. Uh, now, the question is, uh, how are those discussions going to go? Uh, and I don't think we can assume that they're going to be easy discussions. Uh, and that there will definitely be a lot of pressure on Biden uh, to expand the U.S. critique of China to put much more significance on human rights issues. Uh, and this is something that, that President Trump sort of pushed back on, uh, the, the politics in the Democratic Party uh, that pre a President Biden would face on this are going to be quite tougher. So, so I think China policy is going to be interesting because it's going to be uh, have at least some large elements of continuity, uh, but Biden is going to want to go down a couple of pathways that are not going to be easy for him to do. Also on tr trade, I think he will try to seek to to negotiate a, a trade deal with ch China that will enable him to take off tariffs. He's not going to unilaterally pull back on tariffs. Uh, one of the most interesting cases here is what's going to happen with Iran. Um, and here, if, if Trump gets reelected, uh, I'm very much of the view that, that he believes that he can do a deal with the Iranians. Now, right now, the 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 point person on U.S. Iran policy is Secretary of State Pompeo, who who absolutely is driven by the hope and and for him the expectation that that this all out pressure, economic, financial. Pressure will literally lead the Iranian regime to collapse. I don't think that's how pr pr President Trump looks at this. So ironically, it actually may be easier for President Trump to do a deal with Iran than it will for Joe Biden to do a deal with Iran. I think the kind of a deal... Uh, that, that either would do would actually be relatively similar, uh, but the politics of it uh, are, are likely to be qu quite different.
I mean, that would be something because I, I don't think we've seen a lot of real deals come out of this presidency so far, right? We've seen a lot of attempts at renegotiating, but not a lot of uh, results in terms of new deals. Sorry, uh, Dana. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I let, let, let me just, you know, I'm, I, I absolutely agree with David that that's probably Trump's instinct. Um, what I question is whether he would have the team to actually uh, negotiate that, to, whether the United States under a second Trump term would have the diplomatic capacity to do it. Now, if Mike Pompeo was no longer Secretary of State, that correctly would remove a major impotent. But yeah, I mean, there, there, is, there is the possibility of a Nixon to China uh, achievement under Donald Trump. But, you know, Nixon had a pretty capable foreign policy team and pretty, shrew pretty shrewd, and he himself had pretty shrewd strategic and diplomatic capabilities and acumen. So uh that, that 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 i mean this is not a disagreement it's just the you know just a, maybe a dose of, of of cold reality on on what would happen you know i think on biden and here here's a key thing about american diplomacy I, just going back to what david said about china and a biden policy towards china you know biden is a reasonably old man and he was around at the time of the cold war when the united states had a fiercely contested relationship with the Soviet Union, one in which the Soviets were supplying aid and weapons to the North Vietnamese regime that was killing American soldiers, but we still did diplomacy with them. We still did, did, did strategic arms negotiations, successful strategic arms negotiations with them. We still did world diplomacy where we opened up to China and therefore incentivized the Soviets to deal with us. So uh, that's a long historical way of saying that it should not be the beyond the wit of a Biden administration to criticize China, to, to engage in competition with China, but to cooperate on this existential threat of climate change. And I hope it happens. Um, I was going to follow on with that and just ask whether you think that will mean that we'll see a return uh, to greater multilateral effort under a Biden administration than we're currently seeing. So Biden definitely believes in multilateralism. Um, but he, so multilateralism in the United States ha, ha, has always been marked by two elements. One is by multilateral institutions and rules and norms. But the second element of that ha, has been the centrality of the U.S. alliance system to U.S. foreign policy. Uh, so I think under President Trump, uh, both elements of that uh, were eschewed. Uh, and, and I think that, that, that under Biden, that there's going to be a lot of time, energy, and effort spent in, in the first part of the administration on uh, just rebuilding the confidence with allies. Uh, so I, I don't want to overstress uh, that the, the, the Biden multilateralism. I don't believe 
that 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 the Biden administration will include p- people who are committed to moving towards a more multilateral uh, order in in which institutions like the UN or universal institutions gain more authority. I don't think uh, that that that's going to be Biden's approach, but he he will want to be in a world uh, in in which the U.S. is able to mobilize other actors. So one one element there that I think is going to be very interesting is I think you're much more likely to see uh, the U.S. come together in promotion of uh, a a multi-country public-private partnership to create a commercial competitor uh, for Huawei in terms of the build-out of 5G systems and platforms. The Trump administration has started on that, but as Dana said, they they simply don't have the, they didn't put the expertise in place to be able to do something complicated like that. I think the, the, the Biden administration more likely to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think another way of putting this, I'm not sure I'm saying exactly what David was saying, but the United States relationship to multilateralism and multilateral institutions has always been a kind of hybrid, one of ambivalence. Um, the United States was a, one of the founders of m- most of these institutions. It supports them. What it has never done or even really had to do is, sub- is to subordinate itself to them. I mean, because of American power, it's it's been a guarantor of these institutions without necessarily always considering it itself, um, you know, subject to, to like a, something like a nascent world government, if, you know, which is not what the United Nations is, but sometimes what people seem to think the United States, the United Nations should be. Um, so, yeah, in those terms, I think the Biden administration is very traditional. It's not going to look for a step change um, in 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 America's subordination or integration into these institutions, and in, but in fact, what we're facing is is kind of the opposite, the the unraveling of them. Um, and in that regard, um, having a strong community of allies of like-minded allies is the only way to preserve American power and American values. Um, when unipolarity is, is, is a thing of the past or is becoming a thing of the past, maybe I should say. Maybe then I'll end on my final question since we've already gone over time, but we could talk about this for hours and hours. I try to end these episodes with a little bit of positivity. So from both of you, I'd like to ask whether you see any signs of optimism around the election and the future of the U.S.'s role in the current rules-based international system. I, I see grounds for optimism. Uh, I think that I, I don't know how the election is going to turn out, but I think that you clearly see what a, a large body of the American electorate, what I think is probably a majority of the American electorate, that has seen the United States under 
Donald Trump act completely out of character in terms of what they perceive to be, let's call it the American way. And um, and I mean, somebody put it the other way, you know, it looks like team reality is a, is a majority. Now, that's not a particularly, uh, you know, I'm not going to couple that with an absolute prediction about who's going to win the election. I think it's very likely that that Joe Biden will win the election. But, um, you know, as as pollsters very often say, you know, Donald Trump has something north of a one in 10 chance of winning it. And um, you wouldn't happily get on an airplane if the pilot told you it had a one in 10 chance of crashing. I pretty much agree with Dana's points he just made. Now, I think we're in for a very challenging time, frankly, if President Trump gets reelected. I I think that it's going to be a very fraught period. I think transatlantic relations are really uh, going to to be put under just overwhelming pressure. Uh, On the other hand, uh, if uh, Vice President Biden gets elected, uh, then the the U.S. will will be back uh, into the game uh, of a more normal kind of international competition, collaboration, challenge. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the U.S. still has, has a lot of assets to, to bring to bear. Uh, so in, in that sense, it brings us, uh, you know, all the way back to the question that you started with, uh, Maya and and you know this really is a, a extremely important election uh, and, and we will all be watching very closely both both what happens on election day and what happens in the days and weeks following. I'm glad you ended on that because I was wondering where you were going with the first half of your answer. <laughs> Um, But on that note, Dana and David, thank you so much for joining me today to discuss the upcoming U.S. election. We will definitely keep this discussion in mind over the next few weeks. And I certainly look forward to seeing more of your analysis following the election day itself. Thank you, Maya. Thanks to both of you. I enjoyed it very much. And we hope you enjoyed listening to it as well. Don't forget to follow, rate and subscribe to Sound Strategic wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And for more up-to-date analysis on global security and defense issues, be sure to follow us on the IISS Twitter account, Facebook, or on Instagram. Thanks again and see you next time.